Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I am so glad that you have joined us today. If you are a part of our Lighthouse Church family, we would love to connect with you via our social media at Lighthouse Church NC or online at lighthousechurchnc.org. We want to get you plugged into a connect group or on the dream team so that you are doing life together with people just like you. We hope you enjoyed today's message and stay tuned for more announcements at the end of our podcast. So we're going to go to the book of Joshua chapter one. If you have your Bible, open that up. Book of Joshua chapter one, verse one. We're going to read the first five verses. If you don't have your Bible, we're going to put that up on the screen, but I'm excited about what God has for us. The word of the Lord reads as follows. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land that I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Whatever, wherever you set your foot, you will be on the land that I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you, and I will not abandon you. For just a few moments, we're going to preach a theme that the Lord has given me today, this word, fighting with giants. Look at your neighbor and tell them, fighting with giants. Hey, let's pray one more time. Would you do me a favor and just extend your hand this way? And I just pray that God would use us today to hear, use me to speak. And let's just enter in one more time in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. And we thank you for all that you are doing. We thank you, God, because we rose a hallelujah. And we declared that you are victorious overall. We shouted today, Lord God, about how fear has to bow. And every sickness has to bow. We should declare today that you are sovereign and that there is no one like you. And Father, Father, today now we need you to speak to our hearts. We open up our minds and our spirits are receptive to what you have for us today. Cover me, Father, from the top of my head to the sole of my feet to speak your word as you would have it to be said. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can I get a good amen? Clap your hands and you may be seated. Fighting with giants. As I mentioned, as we got into the sermon series, Dream Again, and uh, we're nearing the end, guys. This is week six of Dream Again. I've got one more week that I'm going to come back with you. I'm giving you a seventh week of Dream Again, and um, then we're going to be done with our series and moving on to more of what God has for us. But as I talked to you about in the last few Sundays, that Moses was part of the story, but he was not all of the story. And so we're going to shift our focus now back to Israel. As we get to the book of Joshua, Joshua was Moses' assistant, and now he is in charge. The Lord spoke to Moses and let him know, that young man over there that's tending to you, you know, your personal assistant there that's making sure you are good all the time, that's who's next. That's the person that's going to follow you. I paraphrase that, but essentially that's what God told Moses. And so Moses had prepared Joshua for this moment, and now Moses has passed away. It's kind of sad, huh? Because we've been talking so much about Moses and now he's gone and into heaven, all right? And so Moses has passed and now Joshua's in charge and the Lord charges Joshua. Joshua's getting ready to take the Israel nation now into the land that they thought that they would enter into 40 years earlier. 
Again, this was 40 years in the desert. This was a very long process of God preparing them from the slaves in Egypt to now a desert-tested generation ready to go into the promised land. And the reason I believe they had to be desert-tested was because they had to go in there and they had to fight. If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about how 12 spies first went into the land of Canaan. The land of Canaan is the promised land. So 12 went into the land of Canaan and only two came back saying we can take this land we got this sure there's an enemy there but our God is for us as long as God is for us who can be against us but yet the 10 the 10 spies that were all afraid and up in their feelings about moving forward they decided and spread a bad report the Bible said to the rest of the Israel nation and that's why they spent 40 years wandering in the desert but as they go into the land they absolutely have to fight some giants everybody say giants so what I want to talk to you today is how do you deal with the giants in your life as we pursue the dreams that God has called us to that is why I've entitled today's message fighting with giants now how many of you have grown up in church all your life wave your hands where are the survivors all right those are my survivors and I tell you guys I grew up in the type of church where we did church for three hours okay and uh, I grew up in the type of church where you heard all kinds of funny things. And, and, you know, when we heard the story of David and Goliath, come on, if you've been in church, you've probably heard a sermon on David and Goliath like a thousand times or maybe even more than that. And we've heard the story of David and Goliath. But growing up in church, we did some funny things with, with Goliath the giant, didn't we? I mean, we would start calling a giant basically anything that was opposing us, even if it was something that was self-induced, right? How many of y'all heard that in the church? I did. I heard pre preachers calling out credit scores as a giant. I'm like, that's your fault you made a late payment, all right? But we'd be like, your bad credit is your giant. That's not exactly true. Or sometimes you'd hear your singleness as your giant. Come on. I mean, like your singleness, like God's going to give you a man and that singleness giant is coming down. That's not really what we're talking about. Not those type of giants. Sometimes we would call a giant your car was impounded because you parked somewhere you weren't supposed to be. I mean, you don't need to enter into spiritual warfare to just not do things you shouldn't be doing, right? Can I get a good amen on that? And so growing up in church, you heard all of this stuff, and that always was like this funny tension to me, right? Because you can literally make anything your giant and preach a message off of it. And then, you know, I grew up in the type of church that had an organ. Y'all remember those Hammond B3 organs? And we'd start talking about the giants, and we would make that organ scream. Come on, how do you remember that? And I grew up on that type of church. Then I realized that some of those giants are not really giants at all. Those are called consequences. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's just a consequence because you didn't make your payment on time, all right? That's just a consequence because you parked your car where you shouldn't be. It's not the enemy. It's not the devil. It's not spiritual warfare. It's just a consequence, all right? You made a bad decision. But that doesn't take away from the fact that giants are real. That doesn't change the fact that there are some giants that we do have to deal with. And I want to talk about those giants today, okay? I'm not going to pump you up about some silly stuff that are just merely consequences of bad decisions. I'm talking about the real giants that are in our land that we face on the way to doing the thing that God has called us to do. And so the first thing that I want you to write down for those of you that are taking notes, for those of you that want to go to heaven that are taking notes, I'm kidding. First thing that I want you to write down is that big dreams require big fights. 
We've been talking about dreaming again and having a God dream. Any big dream is going to come with a big fight. Every single big dream is going to come with a big fight. The big things that God is calling you to will not come easy. And I am all over my Bible on this. Go look at anyone that ever did anything for the will of God and it was never a walk in the park. Anyone that ever accomplished anything in the kingdom of God, it was never easy. There was always a struggle. There was always something they had to overcome. There was always something that they had to endure. And we don't like that word endure in this instant, um, in this, this instant gratification type of world that we are now growing up in. You know what I'm saying? I mean, everything now is, is instant. It's not the way it used to be. I mean, I'm not that old. And yet I remember getting films of our wedding day photos. Yeah. Film. You guys are like, what's film? You see, back in the day, you actually had to process pictures. You couldn't just take a picture, upload it to your phone, and someone in Australia can see it in 10 seconds. If you think about that, that's brand new technology. That hasn't always existed. I mean, there was a, there was a time where you had to take a picture and go drop off that camera at a place for your film to be developed. You know what I'm talking about? All the young people are like, no way. <laughs> Because we live in this world where everything is getting faster and everything is easier. I mean, the Polaroid was a novel concept, right? When the Polaroid first came out, I mean, it would just spit that thing out and it would come out. And you have to remember shaking the Polaroid? Y'all remember that? You'd have to shake that thing. You were doing the Taylor Swift before she was a thing, you know? You were shaking it off and then you had your picture. Now, that seems archaic now, doesn't it? It's actually hipster. It's back in. Like, it's hipster, though, right? Polaroid wasn't hipster before. It was a necessity, all right? That was a shortcut. Now it's like, it's vintage. It's hipster. It's throwback. And that's just the generation that we live in now. And so in this world of instant gratification, when we talk about having to endure something, that's something that we don't like hearing. I don't want to have to endure. I want it now. I want access now. I don't want to have to fight. I, I have a big dream, and I want to accomplish it right now. One of the reasons that I think that my boss had me deal with a lot of the uh, younger generation, the, the, the millennials that were entering into the workforce around the time that I was entering the workforce, and for those of you that know my story, you know that I wasn't always a full-time pastor. I spent 10 years in corporate world and defense contracting. And because I was 30, and that was like young in my company, because before my boss hired me, he said he'd never hire anyone out of college. And then he hired me, and then he changed his mind, and he said, I'm hiring a bunch of kids out of college. Um, but he said, but Josh, you're going to help me train them. And one of the things that I saw with every single kid was this. I, this is, I'm, I may write a book on this one of these days because I saw it so much. Um, you would see a lot of uh, kids coming out of college, and they'd get into their late 20s, and I call this the midlife, midlife crisis. You guys are like, what is he talking about? I'll explain that to you. Because you get to be about 28 or 29 years old, you've graduated with your degree, you're probably loaded in student debt, and you thought that in six months you would be the vice president of the company. And then you realize that there's something called seniority. And you start doing the math, and you're like 28, 29 years old, and you think you should be given more responsibility and more money that comes with that responsibility. But you realize someone's going to have to either retire or, I don't know, die of a heart attack in order for you to have your shot. And so I call it the midlife, midlife crisis because you can't even imagine the amount of 28, 29, maybe 30-year-olds that felt like, oh, my God, I'm not going to make the money I thought I was going to make until I get to be in my 40s. And they struggled with that because they realized they were going to have to endure. 
But every big dream is going to come with a big fight. And it is how you pursue that fight and what your posture is towards that fight that you're going to really understand that God has called you to fight these things. It's part of achieving your dreams. Let me explain to you some of the struggles. Let me illustrate this through the story of a man who was elected as president of the United States. I'm going to read his resume to you, and then at the end, I'm going to tell you who it is. But I bet you when you think about this man, you don't think about this resume. So let me just read it off to you. In 1832, this president ran and lost for state legislator. In 1836, he had a nervous breakdown. In 1838, he was defeated for Speaker of the House. In 1843, he lost his nomination for Congress. In 1849, he was rejected for the official position of land officer. In 1854, he lost his election for U.S. Senate. In 1856, he lost his nomination for Vice President of the United States. In 1858, he once again lost his election for U.S. Senator. That's a whole lot of losing, right? That's a lot of losing. This guy's got like this incredible streak of losing. But in 1860, watch this, in 1860, he was elected as president of the United States, and his name is Abraham Lincoln. I bet you didn't realize he lost that many times on his way to becoming president of the United States. You see, we always remember the highlight reel of people's lives, but we don't know the struggle that they had to go through in order to get there. This is why you got to be careful with social media, because no one's posting their failures on social media. Nobody is posting their failures. Everybody is posting their highlights. And if you're not careful, you're going to try and compare your low light to someone else's highlight, and it's going to make you feel insecure. It's going to make you feel depressed, and it's going to make you question, what is wrong with me? There's nothing wrong with you. You're going through life just like they're going through life. And if you look at the story of Abraham Lincoln, it's a story of loss after loss after loss after loss after loss until he got to the place where he really felt he should be all along as president of the United States. Now, I'm here to tell you that you're going to take some L's on the way to achieving your dream. And for those of you that don't know what taking an L means, it means you're going to take some losses. That's like modern day talk right there. Okay, I learned it from my kid. All right. So every God dream will not be achieved through the path of least resistance. As a matter of fact, every shortcut and every path of least resistance is most often, not every time, but most often the wrong path. Most often is the wrong path. I told some of you guys know that I, 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 I liked to uh, compete in endurance sports quite a bit before we started to launch a church. And um, there's literally websites um, devoted to outing cheaters who cheat on marathons, who cheat on half marathons, who cheat on triathlons, those type of things. If you check it out, it's insane. And I've always wondered, you're racing for a medal that everyone's getting, Right? I mean, the thing about these type of races, everyone gets a medal. It's a, part it's a modern day participation, participation award. Everyone gets one. And yet it's crazy to me the amount of people that will cheat in order to get a medal. And I'm thinking, yo, they give this to everyone. All you got to do is cross the line. But yet people will cheat on their way there. And cheating is refusing to endure the hard thing. Cheating is refusing to endure what it's going to take in order to accomplish the dreams that God has for your life. And it's incredible to me to how many people are willing to take the path of least resistance and refuse to fight the giants that they have to fight in their life. But anything worth obtaining, everything that is a God dream will come with a big fight. Big dreams will always be accompanied by big fights. And so when you decide to run off after God's sovereign will for your life, you need to know 
that you will encounter some giants. There's a quote by Abraham Lincoln. If we can get that on the screen, I was just talking about him. So I want to put this quote up. Seen as how not only was he a Christian um, president, but hearing his track record and how he had to overcome to succeed, he said, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. I mean, that's not a Bible, but that's not a scripture, but that could be in the Bible, right? <laughs> that's some wisdom right there. And I love how he put that. But men and women who refuse to fight their giants, this is a good one, okay? Men and women who refuse to fight their giants typically fear their giants more than they trust God. When you want a shortcut, you fear the giant more than you trust God. Anytime you want the path of least resistance, it is because your faith in God is smaller than the faith of the giant. You may not say it that way, but your actions are demonstrating that. When you have to go through a hard thing and to press your way through, when you refuse to go through that struggle and when you refuse to fight that giant, it is because you don't have the proper vision of God yet. And you may not have the right vision of God for your life yet. I want to go the easy way. I want to go the path of least resistance. I want to go this way. I want to go that way. And God is saying... This is the land that I've promised you. And when you get into this land, Joshua, you're going to have to drive out all of these giants. This is why I'm talking about giants today. It's because when Israel crossed on over, they had to fight all of these giants. And God was not going to beat these giants for them. They were going to have to get out their weapons. They were going to have to prepare an attack. They were going to have to pray. They were going to have to seek God. And then they were going to have to war. They were going to have to fight some giants. But do you want to know what giants also are? Giants are also evidence that you are on the right track. Giants are evidence that you are on the right track. Every time you come up against a door that's closed... Every time you're coming against something that you know that God is calling you to do, but it's now pushing back against you, just know that you're on the right track. Giants are evidence that you're right where God wants you to be. So when we see our giants and when we deal with those things in our life, don't ask yourself, where is God? Ask yourself, where are you? I'll say that one more time so you can let that sink in. When you start fighting with giants, don't ask yourself, where is God? You have to ask yourself, where are you? Because if you have a posture that as long as I stand behind God, and like Abraham Lincoln, that quote, as long as I'm on God's side, no matter what I'm fighting, I can get through this thing. Come on, clap your hands if you believe that as long as you are on God's side, you can get through this thing. The second thing that I want you to write down is giants don't fall by our plans. That's the next truth that I want you to get. Giants don't fall by our plans. As a matter of fact, just like I talked about stories of men and women that over, had to overcome some giants in the Bible, there's a lot of stories in the Bible where men and women try to do it their way. And boy, did they make a mistake. Men and women that tried to do it their way and not God's way typically got themselves in trouble. As a matter of fact, they always got themselves in trouble. Even when they were trying to do a good thing the wrong way, they got themselves in trouble. And that's how it is when you fight giants. When you fight giants, when you enter into warfare, and when you have to go up against these things that must come down, you'll see time and time again that you have to do it God's way. Giants only fall according to God's plan. God's plans are always better than our plans. 
There's a verse in the Bible that says that as his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, so are his ways higher than our ways. Now, how many of you can personally attest to the fact that sometimes God asks you to do something that makes no sense? And why does God do that? I've seen throughout the scriptures that God will always use an unlikely person to accomplish an unlikely victory and to do it through an unlikely plan. Haven't you seen that throughout the scriptures? It's always like, why would you choose this person? And why do you want him to go and do this? I mean, this is kind of weird. And why do we have to do it this way? But that's just the way God works. And I believe that the way that God, and I believe that the reason that God will ask us to do things that way is he's continuing to test and stretch your faith. Because we talked about going through the desert seasons in our life. Just know that after you enter the desert and as you start doing the thing that God has called you to do, it's still not going to come easy. I know you might be thinking, good Lord, preacher, just tell me to live my best life and give me three-step process to live in my best self. But I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you that there will be giants that you have to fight as you pursue the dream that God has called you to live out. As a matter of fact, some of you, this sermon series, Dream Again, resonated with you because you stopped dreaming because you stopped fighting giants. And you, you, you hear dream again, and then so far you've been like, we're with you, pastor. I'm all on board this sermon series. Take me through the desert. If that's where I have to go through, I'm all the way in. And then you get to the point of fighting giants, and you're like, oh, wait a second. I know this giant. He's the one that made me run away last time. And so we hear a series like this, but when we get to talking about this stuff, the hard stuff, the thing that you're going to have to look your giant square in the eye and decide, am I going to run or I'm going to fight? Too many of us ran, and now we're at this point again where you have to ask yourself, am I going to run or am I going to fight? Am I going to continue chasing my dream or is my dream just going to be that? Something that I thought about, something that I wanted to do, but nothing that I had enough faith to accomplish. And at some point, you're going to have to ask yourself, will I continue to run or is today going to be the day that I decide to fight? Is today going to be the day that I say, not today, devil. There's a dream that God has placed on the inside of me and I'm going after that dream and I don't care how many giants have to fall. God has called me to this. So let me help you identify some giants because I know in the beginning I made light of some things that aren't giants. So what are some giants? Well, typically in pursuit of your dream, some of the giants that you're going to face is a lack of resources. God's called you to go and do this thing, but you feel like, man, I don't have the power, I don't have the finances, and I don't have the connections to make this happen. How many, ever, how many of you ever encountered a giant called resource? You wonder, how in the world am I going to do it? I know when we were getting ready to launch this church, they said, you should be launching a church with $150,000. I was like, what? You said what? You mean I don't just like get a sound system and just like, you know, start preaching and people show up? Well, no, I mean, how are you going to pay for that sound system? And so um, I know firsthand what it's like to look at this bill in front of you and you're wondering like, what in the world are we going to do? How are we going to do this? So one of the giants that you will face is a lack of resources. Another giant that you might face is an immovable system. This is bureaucracy or politics that stand in the way of you accomplishing your God dream. Okay? That's a giant. An immovable system. That's a real giant. Sometimes you got to go up against an opposing group or an opposing individual. These are people who are actively trying to work against you. And that's a giant that has to come down. 
You might be facing an intimidating circumstance. Your life situation is making you choose between which hard path to take because none are easy. How many ever had to make a choice between a couple of really hard decisions? Like none were easy. None were easy. I'll never forget counseling um, a family member at our church that she either had to end her pregnancy or the baby was going to literally cause her to die. A giant. There's no right answer there. You can look for the Bible. You can search the scriptures all you want. There is no right answer there. But I'm talking about sometimes you're faced with circumstances where the, each decision is going to be pain and nothing is going to be easy. And so sometimes that's a giant. And lastly, sometimes the giant is a physical or spiritual burden and you are having to press against a spiritual issue. Somebody say spiritual. And so you've got these types of giants that you're fighting against. And what you need to do is identify your giant. And this is really key. Once you've identified your giant, then you need to start working like it depends on you, but praying like it depends on God. Let's say that one more time. Once you have identified your giant, you have to work like it depends on you, but you have to pray like it depends on God. And it's a combination of both of those things. I met a lot of people that were so spiritual and lazy. Have you met anyone that's spiritual but lazy? You're like, bro, what are you up to? Man, I'm just praying for this job. Oh, cool. I'll, I'll help you pray. How many resumes have you filled out? None. I'm praying. Wait, what? I'm praying. God's going to open up a door. It's like, oh, come on, dude. You're going to have to do your part too. You're going to have to go and fill out the application, lay them before God, and he'll open up the right door for you. So it's a combination of you working like it depends on you, but also praying like it depends on God. How many of you ever had to pray like it depends on God? Anyone ever been there before? And I, and I know not everyone's been there, so we'll talk about this in just a moment. Praying like it depends on God is not the simple type of prayers that we often do when we come to church and we're going through the motions of worship. Not that we should ever go through it, but sometimes we're guilty of that. And so when you start to pray like it depends on God, just know that it's not mutually exclusive, okay? When you're praying like it depends on God, doesn't mean that you don't do everything in your power that you can You've got to do everything that you possibly can. you got to work like it depends on you. But praying like it depends on God is a different type of prayer. Ephesians chapter 6, let me read this verse to you. And I want to show you why the power of prayer is so important. And when you identify your giant, you have got to learn how to pray like it depends on God. Ephesians 6, 12 says this. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood enemies. Pause right there. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood enemies enemies. Sometimes the issues that you're dealing with is not just a person, but a spirit that's behind that person. And that is why you got to pray. Because there will be people in your way that is not just that person, but the enemy working through a person to get in the way of what God has called you to do. And that's why we have got to pray because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Whoa, that's kind of spooky, Pastor Josh. It's in your Bible, okay? It's Ephesians chapter 6, and this is different than just talking to God daily because you're trying to get your daily devotion in. I'm talking about there are some times that when you have to pray like it depends on God, it's an ugly prayer. It's a prayer that's going to cause you to get really, really emotional. It's a prayer where you might even get mad at God. How many ever prayed mad at God? Just mad. Mad at the situation. Mad at the circumstances. Mad that all hell is breaking loose in your life. Just mad and you have to ask, God, where are you? Has anyone ever been there before or is it just Pastor Josh? 
I know what it's like to deal with warfare firsthand. I know what it's like to deal with opposing spirits or spirits working behind people. I know what it's like when you have to start praying because the only way that this door is going to be open and the only way that this giant is going to fall is if God steps in and fights on your behalf. That's why you have to pray like it depends on God. And I know exactly what it's like to pray in the morning and thank God for his goodness and thank God for his mercy. And I also know what it's like to shut the door and to start rebuking the devil and to start calling him out by name and and, and calling him out for going after your family and calling him out for going after your loved ones and having to get to this place where you have to actually start wrestling in the spirit and praying and believing that God is going to start fighting for you. How many know what I'm talking about? about. I'm talking about those prayers where you're not even really praying to God in that moment, but you're actually actively rebuking the devil. You're shutting the door and you're saying, devil, I refuse to allow you to take my son to hell. I bind you in the name of Jesus. I rebuke you and your nasty mother-in-law too. I come against you in the name of Jesus, the authority and the word of God. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever been there where you've had to pray like that? That's when you realize we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against strongholds now. And throughout, and throughout the book of Joshua, you'll see this pattern that before Joshua went into battle, he prayed. And they claimed things in advance. And they believed in advance. And they trusted God in advance. They prayed because they knew that it depended on God. And this is something that can never be taken lightly. Never be taken lightly. Remember just a few years ago, our church was moving from one side of town to the opposite side of town. We stayed in the same city, just changing zip codes. And as we moved to the other side of town, all hell began to break loose around my family. And I totally underestimated it because I just thought, you know, we're just leaving this building. We're going to this building, just moving offices. It's not that big a deal. And then I began to see all of this all of this spiritual warfare coming against my family. And I'll never forget, it all came to a head when my son Jude, who was healthy as can be, my God healthy as can be, nothing's wrong with that kid, all right? If anything, he got an overflow of energy. How many of you got some some real healthy kids? You know what I'm talking about? Like, is there anything wrong with your kid? No, he's really good. Like, God made him really, really good. He's good on energy, good at physical ability. He's good, right? So that was my son, Jude. He was just all good, everything good. And then I remember one day he was really struggling to breathe, and I didn't think much of it because he's good. He's a healthy baby. Gone to every checkup. Everything's fine with our son. And um, I remember we were putting him to bed, and his heart was just racing, he, 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 it wasn't just that he was having a hard time breathing, which we thought, you know, give him some cough medicine. Let's, uh, let's give him some Benadryl or something. He's going to be okay in the morning. And I remember not being able to shake the feeling that I needed to rush my son to the hospital. And um, he was three years old at the time. And um, as I put my hand on his chest, his heart was racing. And if you know anything about, um, if you know anything about the body and the heart, You can't have your heart beating at 80 beats per minute, 90 beats per minute for sustained periods of time. You just can't do that. You need to have what's called a resting heart rate where you're actually resting. And my son was asleep, but his heart was racing. And I knew something was wrong. And I I remember my wife, um, because we've never encountered anything like this, my wife was like, let him sleep it off. She's like, he's going to be okay. And normally, I bend the way of mother's intuition. But because I know a thing or two about the heart, and what it does to the body, 
I told my wife, there's no way he's going to make it through the night. If he, if he does wake up and he's okay, he's going to be exhausted. Something is wrong with our son. So we called um, the nurse's line that said, just bring him in to be safe. And I remember taking my three-year-old son. He was so mad because he was asleep, knocked out, all right? But just, just having a hard time breathing. And I scooped him up in my arms. He was crying the whole way to the hospital, rushed him to Claremont Mesa, took him right to the ER, sat him down where they were checking him in. And, and you know, they had the after-hours nursing the check-in. They, they literally, they literally uh, put the machines on him as he's sitting at the counter. And then the guy picks up the phone and says, triage, he's calling triage, like, get that room ready right now. And I'm seeing this full ER room, and he's like, you're not going to sit. You got to go now. And so we go to the room, and um, I'm a little nervous now, you know? I'm like, okay, this is kind of weird. I'm used to, I thought I'd be waiting for a few hours. And, and my son gets seen right away. And after about an hour of being on, on a nebulizer, how many of y'all familiar with the nebs? You just put that up on your mouth, and it's able to clear the oxygen. Nothing's working. And so they're like, we're going to give him some steroids. Nothing's working. He's not moving air. So then they have to call down the specialist who just happened to be around that night. Specialist comes downstairs. She takes a look at my son. And then it was just one of those moments where I'm wondering, this is a little more serious than I think it's going to be. And I asked her, I'm like, how is he doing? Is he okay? And she said, let's just say, Mr. Herrera, that bringing him in right now was the best thing you could have done for him. Like, okay, let's just keep rolling with the punches here. And as she steps away, like four dudes walk into the room, right? I'm thinking, this is a three-year-old. And four dudes walk into the room, and they're, like, doing all kinds of things with machines, and they're, like, plugging cores or getting them ready to go, and they take my son upstairs. Um, the end of the story is um, we were in the hospital for three days. He was diagnosed with asthma, never showed any signs of that condition. But I realized that what we were dealing with was something that was spiritual in that moment. And it all coincided with as we were moving from one end of town to the next end of town. And I remember having a conversation with my cousin who was a pastor, and he said, Josh, you took that way too lightly. The reason that you had this attack, and that's just one of many things that were happening in that moment. The reason that your son went through that is because you're taking new territory. And when you take new territory, the enemy will do anything to stop you from taking that territory. You thought you were just moving from one part of town to the next part of town, but the kingdom is coming with you, and you are going to establish the kingdom in this part of town in a way that had not been established before. So there is no coincidence that the enemy is doing everything he can to stop you because you're not just moving into a new location. You're taking territory, and eventually you're going to take dominion. And so when we started this church, one of the first things I did when we got our core team on the phone is you start praying for your kids right now and you start covering them with your prayers because we're going to take new territory. And when we take territory, we're eventually going to take dominion and the enemy's going to do anything he can to try and stop us. But how many you know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world? I said, how many know greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world? And when I finally understood what was happening, I went on the offensive. Sometimes, how many know that the best defense is a really good offense? I began to pray like I never prayed before. I began to anoint my home in a way like I've never anointed it before. I realized that as we moved into this new city and as we moved into this new place, we were entering into a brand new season. And I just began to declare and I just began to decree that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and that whatever weapon 
weapon was formed against us, it wasn't going to be able to prosper because just like the Lord told Joshua, I heard the Lord talking to this Joshua and say, I will not fail you and I will not abandon you. Come on, clap your hands if you know that that word wasn't just for Joshua, but it's for Lighthouse Church today. As we launch Lighthouse Church in San Marcos and we are 11 weeks old and in 11 weeks, 78 people have made a decision to follow Jesus. Come on, someone shout for that. 78 people said, I'm not going to give up on God's call for my life. 78 people said, I'm running after this dream that God has for me. But you better believe the enemy will come. And you better know that he's going to fight you. And so what I did three years ago, when that, well, two years ago when that affliction happened to my son, I got on the offensive. So one night, I grabbed my old Bible that I had been preaching so many sermons from, and I wrote a message on that Bible. I said, as long as this Bible is inside of this building, and I'm talking about the offices where our, our, our South Campus is located. As long as this Bible is in this building, we will, un, we will unashamedly declare the name of Jesus in this city. We will proudly declare that he is Lord, and we will proudly declare that he is sovereign, and we will intentionally tear down the kingdom of darkness. We will intentionally rebuke the enemy and every demon with him. And I wrote some inspiring words on that Bible. And then I went to the young man, and we were getting ready to construct the stage at the church. And I gave him my Bible where I had written all kinds of declarations and decrees and I said I want you to get this Bible and stick it in the stage. I want you to put it right under the stage, right where the pulpit is because for the rest of the days, as long as this church is here, we are going to stand on the word of God and we're going to believe everything that this book says about us. And right now at that campus, there's a Bible there because I got on the offensive and said, I'm not going to back down just because there's a giant in front of me, but I'm going to move forward declaring that Jesus is greater, believing that he can do all things, and believing that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Come on, someone clap your hands. And I'm coming to a close now, and I'm sorry I get worked up over this because it's my son, it's my family, and you talk, you, you touch my family, I'm going to take that real personal. How many ever take, how many of y'all know what I'm talking about? You get like Papa Bear on stuff. Don't mess with my kids. I will get Papa Bear. I'll fight you, okay? You can be seven foot and buff. I'm a, I, will, I will cut you at the knees, all right? Don't mess with my kids, right? I mean, that's just what we do as parents. And I went on the offensive, and listen, I've not put my guard down since that day. Admittedly, I took things too casually. Admittedly, I thought, well, it's just doing church. We're not doing church. We're making the name of Jesus famous in a new region, and lives will forever be changed. That's the problem with too many churches that you come and you hear a motivational message, but you don't have the power that comes with it. Paul said it this way. They've got a form of godliness, but they deny the power within. I realized that when the Holy Spirit got a hold of my life, Jesus said it this way, and after that, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power. And so now that I know that I've got power on the inside of me, I can't take lightly what God is calling me to do. And so here's what you need to do. This is the last thing and I want you to write this down. So what do you do? You need to reach for your stone. Reach for your stone. And now I'm making a reference to David when David fought Goliath. Different story, same application, both dealing with giants. See, the Bible says that when David went to eventually fight Goliath, he grabbed some stones with him. And when he stood in front of him and this giant was standing right there, he reached for his stone. 
He grabbed his stone, put it in his slingshot, and he launched that thing. And I'm here to encourage you today. You need to reach for your stone. Reaching for your stone is making a declaration that I am going to fight this time. Reaching for your stone is saying, I'm not going to back away this time. As I mentioned earlier, some of you walked away from your dream because you saw a giant in front of you and you ran the other way. But I'm, I'm here to preach to you right now that you have got to reach for your stone. When the enemy comes in and he's trying to wreck your marriage, you don't back down. You reach for your stone. When the enemy brings sickness upon your family, you don't back down. You reach for your stone. When, when the enemy starts attacking your finances, you don't run and hide. You reach for your stone. You grab a hold of that weapon and you make it up in your mind that this is the day that I start fighting back. This is the day that I don't back down. This is the day that I move forward. I asked myself, God, why would you put us in the ring with the giant? Why put us in a ring with the giant when you have the power to take him out? I don't know about you, but I ask these questions to God. Why put us in the ring with the giant, God? Why make the arena of life be, be filled with giants that we have to overcome in pursuit of our God dream? And then I see a pattern throughout the scriptures. It's actually throughout the entire book of Exodus. We've gone through the book of Exodus, not necessarily verse by verse, but through the stories of Israel. And it's repeated many, many places throughout Exodus. And I'm only just going to highlight this one part in Joshua. Because it's repeated in Exodus, but it's also in Joshua. Joshua 4.24, let's get that scripture up. And it says as follows. He, talking about God, he did this so all the nations of the earth might know. Somebody say no. Say it back. Say no. He did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful and so you might fear the Lord, your God, forever. The reason he puts you in the ring with giants and the reason there are giants in your life is so that you would know beyond a shadow of a doubt who your God is. It's all throughout the book of Exodus. If I had time, I'd put up about a dozen scriptures where God did something miraculous, something that only God can do. And as soon as it was over, it says, so that they would know. Sometimes speaking about Israel and sometimes speaking about Israel's enemies. Make no mistake. God will move in a way that will make a declaration known to your enemy and say, so that you know this is my church. And what they are doing here in North County, it's a God thing. So that you may know. Everybody say no. That's why I believe God puts us in the ring with giants. When I know that my giant will be slayed for the glory of God, my posture changes. Because I've released myself from having to fight a battle that belongs to the Lord. When I know that my giant is a fight, that I have got to fight for the glory of God, everything changes. And isn't that why God gives you that God dream to begin with? It's not for you to be known. It's for him to be known. It's not for you to be famous. It's for God's name to be lifted up high in places where people don't know his name. It's not for our glory, it's for his glory. So when I know that my giant has to come down for the glory of God, my posture changes because I've released this fight from my hands into the hands of God. And God's record is undefeated. Come on, clap your hands if you know that God is undefeated. My last verse and I'm done. My last verse, 2 Chronicles 16.9. This is so powerful. This is what God wants to do through you. Everybody say, through me. 
Say, through me. I want you to grab this. This verse is for you. For the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro over all the earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is fully devoted to him. Somebody say devoted. He's looking to show himself strong. Listen, what God is saying, if I was to put this in modern day vernacular, is God is looking to flex on someone, but he wants to do it for someone who is fully devoted. Y'all hear that? It just flexing. I, I use that language sometimes. Someone's making a statement, and whenever you hear that, that means someone's making a statement. They're flexing, right? The Bible literally says that God wants to show himself strong, and all he's looking for is someone who's devoted. That's it. Wow. Not for someone who's perfect, but for someone who's devoted. Not for someone who knows all the Bible, but for someone who's devoted. Not for someone who has their life put together, but for someone who's devoted. Not for someone that has a 10-year plan and a 40-year plan, and they've got it all worked out. God is just looking for someone whose heart is fully devoted to him. And when God finds that person, there's nothing that he won't do through that person. And when God finds that person, there's nothing he won't do for that person. All he wants to know is, are you fully devoted to me? Are you fully devoted to me? Let's close our eyes right now. And let's lean in to what God's going to do. My heart has to be fully devoted to him and his plan for my life. Giants come and giants go. But one thing remains, and that is God. Giants come and giants go. Your giants will come, and trust me when I tell you, church, your giants will go. But the one thing that remains is the Lord our God. He will never change. Let me bless you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord God, for what you are doing in this house. We thank you, God, because you're moving in this place. Even before we got here, we were sensing that you were getting ready to do something powerful in this house. We've been declaring it all day, God, that chains would be broken, that yokes would be destroyed, and that strongholds would be loosed. We've been declaring that all day, Jesus, and even right now, we need you to do that. There are people here, Father, that have been backing down from a fight that you've been bringing them to year after year, month after month, and this is the day that they're going to reach for their stone, and they're going to get in the ring with that giant, and they're going to do it for the glory of God. Once and for all, that giant of insecurity is coming down. Once and for all, that giant of resources is coming down. Once and for all, that giant of politics is coming down. Once and for all, that giant of an immovable decision is coming down in the name of Jesus. We declare it. We believe it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you clap your hands one more time? And I want... If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.